It's June 1st, and that means time to update the Rookie of the Year race because we have new favorites in both the National and American League. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So we, we did this show about a month ago, looking at how the Rookie of the Year race was shaping up after the first five or so weeks of the season. Well, now we are at the beginning of June, uh, and we have seen more changes to the board. Believe it or not, we have some of these races that have kind of gone back to chalk, and some that are nowhere near it. So it started in the National League. And if you remember last month, James Outman was leading the Rookie of the Year race. The outfielder for the Dodgers had a fantastic start to the year. So he was at plus 170, while Corbin Carroll, the preseason favorite, was at plus 200. It was pretty close. Uh, As of the morning of Wednesday the 31st, uh, Corbin Carroll is back in the lead. He's at plus 130 and started off a little bit slow, took a little bit to get that first walk in, things like that. But right now, is playing very well. 52 games, batting 285, 374, 529 home runs, 23 extra base hits. And real quick, I find it odd that he's so incredibly fast. He has one triple. Like, that's it. Just one triple. Uh, 23 walks to 42 strikeouts in 52 games. So you're, you're fine with the ratio there. And 16 of 18 on stolen bases. Uh, Corbin Carroll's played a lot of different places in the outfield. I think he's played all three positions. Obviously, is a true center fielder, but as they've shuffled guys around, they had um, Lord Goriel's played a lot of left field or DH'd, but they've had Jake McCarthy up and down. They've had Alec Thomas, who was up and now down. A lot of different moving pieces. Uh, but so Corbin Carroll, fantasy is qualified at a couple different positions in outfield if your league does that kind of thing. But what I've noticed really interesting about Corbin Carroll, and we never really dove into his offense from this perspective, when we were talking about him before the season, he has a batting average that's better against lefties versus righties, but they're still pretty good. Against righties, he's batting 274. I'll remind you, his overall batting average is 285. But against lefties, he's batting 309. So fantastic, but, you know, the but here is seven of his nine home runs have come against right-handed pitching. Some of that is sample size. Obviously, you face a lot more righties than you do lefties, but he does hit for more power against a righty pitcher than a lefty. So not a guy you have to do a platoon split for, not a guy you have to worry about as far as being able to hold his own no matter what. He's a guy you can stick him in the lineup every single day. Corbin Carroll will be able to play first base for you and play center field for you on an everyday basis and will be just fine. Uh, At plus 650, so now in second place in the race, is outfielder James Altman of the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
55 games, and the overall slash line looks a little bit worse, and we'll get to why in a second. But 234, 323, 469. Nine home runs, 20 extra base hits, 19 walks to 70 strikeouts in 55 games for James Altman, and 6 of 7 on stolen bases. The issue here, there's two things. One, his May was dreadful. was batting like 167 for the month of May obviously, excluding whatever he does on the night of Wednesday, May 31st. Guys have slumps. It happens. The thing that makes it hard for him is he came out so hot, the league made adjustments, then he started to slump. So the question's going to be, how can James Outman adjust to the league's adjustments to get back to the performance that we were hoping from him? The other part of James Outman's struggles is he hasn't been that great against right-handed pitching. So he's batting 218 against righties. And again, the overall slash line, 234. So uh, if you struggle against righties, it's really hard to keep a full-time job since obviously you're, more, you're most likely to face right-handed pitchers on an everyday basis. If you can only hit lefties, you are definitely the short side of a platoon. And so James, that's something James Altman has to work on. And a lot of that is the adjustments that righties were able to make against him. Uh, that brought his batting average down and made him have that terrible May. Number three in the race, catcher Francisco Alvarez of the New York Mets gets called up, uh, is playing a lot off of the bench, and then there's some injuries to Mothnito and things like that. And so he becomes the starter and then gets moved up from batting seventh or eighth or ninth. And we see him a couple times batting second in the lineup. So 34 games, all of those have been starts. 259, 316, 537, eight home runs, 14 extra base hits, seven walks to 28 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts because it's Francisco Alvarez, it's a catcher, come on, don't worry about it. So uh, I've been encouraged by a couple things, a couple things I'm a little concerned about. The framing, one of the things we talked about for Francisco Alvarez was the offense was going to be fine, he was a work in progress defensively. The framing has gotten significantly better. He is in the 86th percentile in framing. And when you go in and you dive into the stats on this, it's a lot of vertical stuff. He is above average, both above the zone and below the zone, with the exception of that down and away uh, corner as a right-handed catcher trying to move the glove down to your right to get that down and away corner. I don't think anybody's really good at framing down there. But... He's not as good laterally. So if you're a vertical working guy, a guy like a Cody Singa, spoiler alert for just a few minutes, uh, that's the kind of, this is the kind of framer you want because he's good at stealing the high and low pitch for strikes. Uh, blocking wise, he's not that great as a blocker. I believe he's a below average on, st- on stat cast for blocking. So something to work on there. And then against lefties, he's not doing too well. 161, 212, 258 is the slash line against lefties. So I would look for them to try and maybe pick and choose when he gets days off and just have him take a day off against lefties. The platoon split isn't as bad when you're a catcher because they regularly get days off as it is for somebody like a James Altman because Altman's the strong, he's he's now a weak side of the platoon because he's only good against lefties and Outfielders can play every day. So not as bad to have a platoon split if you're a catcher like Francisco Alvarez. Number four on the list, Cody Singa, starting pitcher of the Mets. They're trying to do an Atlanta Braves from last year 
and get both a position player and a pitcher one and two in that. In his 10 games, five and three, three, four, four ERA in 55 innings pitched, 70 strikeouts, 11.5 per nine, 231 walks, 5.1 per nine, six home runs allowed. Started off hot, struggled a little bit, has debuted a new slider. He he's phased out the sweeper for more of a gyro slider. It's not as good on stuff plus, but there has to be a reason that either him or the Mets wanted him to stop throwing the sweeper. And I'm very curious to see if we can get anything from the team or from him on the record about why that was. Really intrigued to see that. Uh, Last guy, plus 3,000, right-hand pitcher Yuri Perez of the Miami Marlins. Four games, 2-1 and with a 2.84 ERA, 19 innings pitched, to 19 strikeouts, so exactly one per inning, to 10 walks, 4.7 per nine and three home runs allowed. We love our tall king, Yuri Perez. We have entire shows on him. You can go back and find those. The everydayers know all about Yuri Perez and how much we love him. In just a minute, we're going to get to the American League, where we do have a new favorite for Rookie of the Year, as well as an interesting observation about all of these pitchers in the back part of these odds. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite event should not be stressful. The idea, you go to these events because it's fun. You want to have a good time. And if you're stressed about trying to find tickets to it, that's not a recipe to have a good time. That's why I use Game Time. It is the place for last-minute ticket deals. They have exclusive flash deals on, yes, sports, football, basketball, baseball, but concerts, uh, theater shows, comedy shows, things like that. Uh, the Game Time Guarantee means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, they'll credit you 110% of the difference. And when you buy the ticket, you see an image of your seat before you buy, so you know what you're in for, no obstructed seats. The tickets come straight to your phone on just two taps, and you're set. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code LOCKEDONMLB, for $20 off your purchase. Again, create an account, redeem code locked on MLB for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay, so looking at the American League Rookie of the Year odds, and your favorite in the American League, outfielder Matsutaka Yoshida of the Boston Red Sox, plus 170. Struggled a little bit on the transition to pro ball or to MLB but quickly picked it up, figured it out, and kind of made us all look dumb for saying he had four below average tools. 46 games, he's batting 313, 389, 486. Six home runs, 18 extra base hits, 20 walks to 21 strikeouts in 46 games, so very difficult out is Matsutaki Yoshida. Three for three on stolen bases. The one thing that I did notice about this I found interesting, and I wonder if voters are going to hold this against him or not. I'm guessing not. But so far, he's played 28 games in left field and only eight, and 18 games at DH. So would a guy that had 40% of his starts be at DH, would he still win Rookie of the Year when he doesn't have overwhelmingly ridiculous power numbers? Slugging a 486 and again, six home runs through 46 games. So it's, it's just a consistently good player who can consistently put the ball into play. So he's going to rack up RBIs. He's going to have, give you an opportunity to rack up runs, things like that, but he's not going to contribute that much defensively. 
he's not going to add a ton of value with the glove. So kind of curious to see how that approaches. If, if you had a rookie of the year vote, would you vote differently knowing the guy was a halftime DH versus a full-time position player? Drop it in the comments, tweet at us, let us know how you feel about that. I'm, I'm just kind of curious here. Number two on the list, right-hand pitcher Hunter Brown of the Houston Astros, plus 500. Uh, 10 games, 5-1 and one record, 3-1-2 ERA in 57 and two-thirds innings. 66 strikeouts, so 10.3 per nine, to 18 walks, 2.8 per nine, four home runs allowed. I've got an observation about him. There's a couple other pitchers I want to mention, so let me get these two guys out of the way, and we're going to put a bow into the pitcher conversation here. So, uh, plus 950, third baseman Josh Young of the Texas Rangers. I feel like the defense has improved a little bit. I owe him a little bit of that. I, I dinged him last year for his defense. But 51 games at third base for the Texas Rangers. 291, 338, 527. 12 home runs, 33 extra base hits, 14 walks to 63 strikeouts, one for three on stolen bases. The strikeouts are there, but the power production is there. And if you were to think about, okay, yeah, he might strike out 180 times in a season, but he would give you 36 to 40 home runs. Most people would be okay with that. And that's kind of where Josh Young is. The defense is, like I said, I'd give him a little more credit than I gave him last year. I'd say he's close to average defensively at the hot corner. Is that enough for rookie of the year? I don't know. But either way, Josh Young has done well, plus 950, third best odds on FanDuel for rookie of the year. Number four is Stewie Ruiz of the Oakland A's. Plus 1,200 is the odds. In 56 games, 274, 340, 356. One home run, 15 extra base hits, 10 walks to 44 strikeouts, and 27 of 31 on stolen bases. He leads all of MLB in stolen bases. Defensively, Stewie Ruiz has graded out below average in center field. That is also a hard center field. as a very big field. Lots of ground to cover, but still. Makes It feels like it's going to be hard for a guy who uh, can't even get a 360 slug to win rookie of the year when he's not providing value defensively. In essence, he is a batting average and stolen base guy. And that's what he is. So fantasy baseball, there's two categories he can help you unless you're an on-base league. But feels like it's not necessarily rookie of the year material. And then there's three pitchers. And I, I, I want to find a common thread in all of these guys. So. Bryce Miller of the Seattle Mariners, plus 1,400. Tanner Bibby of the Cleveland Guardians, plus 1,800. Taj Bradley of the Tampa Bay Rays, plus 2,000. Stats on all these guys, they've all pitched six games. So Bryce Miller is 3-2 and two with an ERA of 3 in his 36 innings. 31 strikeouts, 7.8 per 9 to 3 walks, which is 0.8 per 9, and 2 home runs allowed. Uh, we know the story about behind Bryce Miller. Fantastic fastball, does a good job of working in the secondaries, right? Tanner Bibby, the Cleveland Guardians. Six games, one and one with a 2.88 ERA and 34 and a third innings with 34 strikeouts, 8.9 per nine, two nine walks, 2.4 per nine, two home runs allowed. ERA is a little bit lower, strikeouts are a little better, uh, walks are a little higher. But Tanner Bibby, plus 1,800, another guy that has a good fastball, does a good job of mixing in some secondaries. Taj Bradley, the Tampa Bay Rays, plus 2,000. Six games, 3-2 and two with a 360 ERA in 30 innings pitched. 42 strikeouts, 12.6 per nine. Two five walks, 1.5 per nine. Four home runs allowed. 
the observation here, and this kind of, we talked a lot this year about pitchers who have debuted and the guys who struggled, like Brandon Fought, and the guys who didn't, like Bobby Miller, like Mason Miller, all the different Millers. The observation to me seems to be if you are a rookie pitcher who has a very good fastball, you are more likely to have immediate success at the major league level than a guy like a Brandon Fought who doesn't have a fantastic fastball and has to rely on either a changeup heavy approach, I'm thinking about Gavin Stone of the Dodgers as well, or has to rely on your entire arsenal and sequencing to get guys out versus having a pitch that you can blow by a guy when you're in a jam. So maybe there should be a difference in how we develop and how we get these guys into the bigs if they don't have an overwhelming fastball, knowing that they have to get the experience of getting major league hitters out without being able to just reach back and blow a fastball by them. Anecdotally, Matthew Libertor has been a lot more successful this year than he was last year, and he's added a couple miles an hour to the fastball. So it's, I haven't dove into the numbers on this specifically. This is kind of, you know, off the cuff on vibes. I really feel like how dominant the fastball is, is a big differentiator for a rookie pitcher. So that's a project. Make a note in that. We're going to put a pin in there. That's a note for a future show. We're going to go dive into that and figure out, is that true or not? In just a minute, surprisingly, there's some guys that are pretty high up on the odds for Rookie of the Year that haven't even debuted yet. And we'll get to them next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to the show. Uh, We are covering the, the American League and National League Rookie of the Year Every day or stay tuned tomorrow, we are sitting down with our, with our friends from Locked On Nationals. We are talking about their outfield prospects. They have a ton of guys that they got in the Juan Soto deal, as well as what do they try to do with the number two overall pick. We go over their options there. Who's up? Who's down? It's going to be a fun show. Stay tuned for that. So there are guys in the Rookie of the Year odds on FanDuel. Remember, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. They did not pay for that. Just it's a great, great resource that have not debuted yet. There are guys in the odds that are pretty high up for the most part. The American League, they're not high. There, there's Zach Gelliff uh, of the Oakland A's, the second baseman. He's in AAA. He's on there. And Emerson Hancock, the righty for the Seattle Mariners. We've talked about Seattle's amazing pitchers. Bryce Miller's up on the list already. Uh, they have, they're at plus 15,000. So they're not high on the list. But they are on the list to, for Rookie of the Year odds, despite having not debuted in MLB. Gelliff doesn't really feel like he's ready to me. 36 games in AAA with the Las Vegas Aviators. 275, 396, 466. Four home runs, 16 extra base hits, 25 walks to 45 strikeouts, 12 of 15 on stolen bases. He's another guy that feels like the strikeouts are going to be high. He's going to be a batting average stolen base guy at the major league level. Although I do think he'll give you Pretty decent defense at second base. If they get rid of some veterans at the deadline, if people want their veterans at the deadline, some of these position players haven't been great for them this year. But if they get rid of some guys, you could see Gelliff in the second half of the year. I don't think he profiles as a guy who can get into the rookie of the year race, even if he were to be called up today simply because of the seemingly the lack of power in the profile. Emerson Hancock, 
I do like him a lot. He's pitching in AA Arkansas right now. There's some fantastic guys there, including Brian Wu. Go see if he's free in your Dynasty League. Nine AA games, 5-1 and one with a 5.20 ERA in 36 and third innings. 46 strikeouts, so 11.4 per nine to 22 walks, 5.4 per nine, three home runs allowed. Ultimately, I don't think Emerson Hancock's going to get called up right now because there's still some control stuff they want him to work on. You can see by the five and a half walks per nine innings uh, and then some run prevention stuff. Now, at the same time, sometimes these teams just are aggressive and make the move. The Atlanta Braves took A.J. Smith-Shaver from high A all the way to MLB in one season. So Seattle may decide we need a pitcher. We're going to call Emerson Hancock up and give him a shot straight from double A. Doesn't feel likely, but you never know. No, the, the guys who are high up on the Rookie of the Year odds, despite having not debuted yet, it's two guys for the Cincinnati Reds. The one that's lower, plus 6,500. So he's actually tied for, uh, tied for 14th with Matt Mervis of the Cubs, is Christian Encarnacion Strand. 32 games in, in AAA, playing mostly first, but some third base as well. And CES is batting 341, 487, 710. 13 home runs, 24 extra base hits, 9 walks to 39 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts. Joey Votto has not come back. At this point, I don't know if Joey Votto is going to come back. He was on a rehab assignment. They recalled him from that. They canceled it. We don't know the status of Joey Votto. I feel like at some point, they are going to finally say, okay, we are going to call up Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, Spencer Steer, who's on this list, tied with Yuri Perez at plus 3,000, tied with shortstop Matt McClain of the Reds, uh, has been playing some first base. Steer, to me, I really do think his best value is a utility guy. So you could see something where uh, CES is called up, he plays first base, Steer is the utility guy, while McLean's at third, Jonathan India, who's their best hitter right now, is at second, and at third base, you see shortstop Ellie De La Cruz. He is tied with Cody Singa for the fourth best odds in the National League Rookie of the Year race, despite having not debuted yet, plus 1,800. And the reason for it is because he's finally fixed some of the glaring flaw that we talked about every time we discussed Ellie De La Cruz. So 33 games in AAA right now. 304, 401, 659. So 300, 400, 500 plus. That slash line's checked off. 11 home runs, 24 extra base hits, 22 walks to 43 strikeouts, 11 to 17 on stolen bases. My everydayers will remember, we've t- every time we talk about Ellie De-, De La Cruz, we discussed the fact that he hit over 300 while striking out 30% of the time at like every level of the minors. And we said, at what point in time is that no longer sustainable? At what point in time does he have to adjust his approach to not strike out as much? Because, I mean, it's just, it just, it doesn't seem plausible to be able to hit 300 with a 30% strikeout rate at the major league level. He started to make those changes in AAA. He's lowered the strikeout rate. I want to say the month of May, he lowered it to like 16%, and he raised the walk rate. Uh, I did see an interesting stat that he does better on the first three days of the series when it's automated balls and strikes versus days four through six when it's the ABS challenge system. It was just a small incremental improvement, but it was an improvement 
under automated balls and strikes. So maybe he's developing a very good eye for what is a ball and what is a strike. But either way, this is the last big development milestone we were trying to figure out for Ellie De La Cruz was you've got to cut down the strikeouts and it looks like he's done that. And so a couple things. One, if you're in redraft and you have a spare bench spot, you may want to go stash Ellie De La Cruz because it looks like he's going to be able to do all of the stuff. I mean, he, he has been one of the most dynamic players in the minors. He had a, a sprint speed the other day that I think would be faster than any MLB sprint speed posted this year. So it's like 31.9 feet per second. And the record is Corbin Carroll this year. I want to say at like 30.9 feet per second. He's had multiple batted balls over 117 miles an hour. He had an infield throw at like 100 miles an hour. He's doing all of these ridiculous things and consistently in AAA. And it really feels like sooner rather than later, they're going to make the move and call Ellie De La Cruz to Cincinnati and just let the kids play all day, every day. Fantastic week this week. One more show coming up. After that, it's a mailbag on Monday. Reminder, if you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com or drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Link's in the episode description. Link is in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.